This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. I'm here with Kelly Mirbach today. She has a leadership and team development coaching service. And to start with, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and all these different activities that you're involved in? Sure. Um, So as you said, I'm Kelly Mirabat, I'm an executive coach. I've been an executive coach for now more than 14 years, working for thousands of hours with hundreds of clients across the world. Our focus individually is to revolutionize work and the workplace by transforming leaders into emotionally intelligent well-beings. So that that's our focus. Uh, you Loud and Clear is the name of my company because it's all about you when you work with us. And it's about getting really loud and clear about who you are and what you want in this life. Our podcast is called Hidden Human, the Stories Behind the Business Leader. So, and we've been on hiatus for a little bit because we're doing some rebranding and tweaking and, and all that fun stuff. So a little reinvention going on in our world right now. Well, this season, we're talking all about well-being. I wanted to start by understanding what does well-being mean to you personally? Sure. So for me, well-being obviously emerges from your thoughts, actions, and experiences, which most of which we, we have control over. So for me, it means achieving a state of relaxed body, calm, observant mind, and operating from that space as much as possible. It's an alignment of mind, body, heart, spirit, whatever that means to you. Because I think well-being is a very personal thing, and everybody has their own definition. And just because my definition is that doesn't mean that has to be identical for you. It could be something very different. Yeah. So switching from you personally to the work that you do with organizations, leaders and teams and whole organization development projects, what does well-being mean in the context of an organization or a workforce? Yeah, I think, well, let me drop the, I think it's the ability to pursue your interests and fulfill your personal life purpose in order to gain meaning, happiness, and enrichment. So put simply, it's to do work that funds a life you love. You know, it's, it's doing good work to the best of your ability with full presence from the resources that you have internally, your unique gifts and talents, and then doing things that you love in life, whether that is, I don't know, building Lego sets in your basement or taking a walk outside with your dogs or spending time with your kids or cosplay, if that's your thing, whatever it is that you love, your work should fund that. I mean, I know people who would say that their work is what they love. And does that make them really lucky or does that mean that they're not tapping into all of themselves? 
I, you know, I think there's a lot of context and nuance to that. And it's an individual thing. I mean, my work is something I was called to do. There's nothing I want to do with my time than help humans achieve their highest potential, whatever that looks like in their mind. But I also love my hobbies and I also know where my bandwidth begins and ends. So it doesn't mean I don't love my work, but my work does fund my life with my husband and our animals and our friends and family members. So I think it's, it's really an individual thing. You know, if you love your work, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's not always the case. And unfortunately, you know, the world that we live in with 86% of all doctor's visits being stress-related, I think it's, it's rare to find people that really love their work, you know, and even though we love our work, I'm sure there are aspects that are frustrating or challenging. And that's what, that makes you, you know, an alive human being. So in the work that you do as an executive coach, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some common reasons that leaders come and seek your services? Like what are the common themes? Yeah. Burnout right now. A lot of people are burnt out big time. And that in itself is a trauma regardless of what the definition is for you. It's a traumatic event because it's sustained stress over time. Basically when a trauma or burnout comes at you, it's a perceived threat. So what happens is your body kicks into fight, flight, fawn, or freeze mode, right? Um, you, You have to, at some point, tell your body it's safe. And that's, that's where burnout comes in. So many of us have incomplete stress cycles because of the chronic stress, because there is no getting out from under it. So that's, that's one of the things. What I've been hearing a lot, specifically from the C-suite, is I've gotten here. This is not what I expected it to be. I'm not getting the feedback that I want. And I know I'm a good leader, but I want to be a great leader. And nobody's, nobody's given the feedback. The other thing that they come to me with is, you know, mismatch in their job, like thinking it was one thing and then getting in there and it's not that, and it's not a characteristic or cultural match. And what I mean by cultural match, it's the culture that you embody in yourself. So whether you're, you know, you show up as a a cishet straight male or a non-binary queer male, whatever that aligns with you. And, and sometimes there's a mismatch, especially now with so many companies looking for people to fill roles because of the great resignation, the great reshuffle. Oftentimes they don't do the due diligence they need to do just because they want to get a body in that seat. And, you know, that's not the way to do it. You need to really take the time to align yourself with the person you're looking at and make sure they align with your organization's mission, vision, and values. Right now, my biggest client is the United States military. And their whole focus is training their officers to be more into emotionally intelligent. So a lot of my work is around explaining to them what a healthy emotional expression is, that it's not a Jerry Springer show. It doesn't have to be a big dramatic performance. It could be something as simple as rolling over in bed in the morning and looking at your significant other and saying, I feel happy or, you know, great job on that. That's, that's an emotional expression, but because of the nature of the work they do or department of Homeland security, who I work with as well, 
they're conditioned to believe that emotions and vulnerability are weakness and are very uncomfortable with that. But with the millennial and Gen Z generations coming up behind, we know that compassion, empathy, love, and when I say love in the business context, I mean mutual admiration and respect are key components to leading those generations. That's what they want. And they want purpose. So you have to be able to understand where your emotions are coming from, what your behaviors are rooted in, good, bad, or otherwise, and and meeting people where they're at and understanding that your emotions and your expression will have an impact and making sure that that's a positive impact or you're very intentional with the impact you're trying to have. It sounds like they have both work concerns, like, do I really fit in here? It's not what I expected. It's a bit ambiguous or I'm not getting feedback. And they also have personal or well-being concerns that you're seeing. They're interconnected. 100% they really are. You know, and a, a lot of times I'll use the business as a gateway to open them up. And then what will happen is we'll unpack other things. Like I have this wonderful C-suite executive at a Silicon Valley organization. And she came to me because she wanted to leave her organization and go to a new one. And um, about seven sessions in, she said to me, we were supposed to help me leave. And now I'm falling in love with my job. And it's like, that maybe that's what the goal is. It, it shifts over time as, as we unpack things. Prior to the pandemic or even, even before that, people were thinking there should be a separation between work and personal. The pandemic took that all away from us, right? And just because you're working doesn't mean you're not a parent or you're not a daughter or a sibling. You don't leave those things at home. They come with you. So how do you integrate all of those pieces in a healthy way to contribute to your overall well-being and bring the best version of yourself to work, right? So I think we start by exploring the business, but usually what happens is other things in your life open up um, that could be preventing you, whether it's a real or perceived obstacle from achieving that highest potential. Yeah. Do they define one of their problems as a well-being problem or do they come to see it as that? What are they thinking about in terms of well-being? Yeah, I mean, they're really thinking about burnout recovery, honestly, mm-hmm. or I've been working in this company for 25 years and I haven't gotten promoted or what's going on with that. And really the way I work is who are you being? And allowing that to guide what you're doing. Let me give you an analogy about that. I had a, a client that came to me and, you know, he, he was running a $70 million multinational company out of Florida. And I grew up in South Florida. So I know that sometimes CEOs show up in flip-flops, board shorts, and surf t-shirts with <laughs> visors turned backwards. So that's kind of standard, but When you get acquired by a company in the UK and you start showing up like that, maybe that's not in alignment with your culture. He hired me because the board was putting pressure on him to become more of a statesman. I remember saying to him, okay, I know what a statesman means in my mind. When I think of a statesman, I think of Winston Churchill. When I asked this client, I said, all right, what is a statesman? How do they 
behave? What do they say in a crisis? How are they showing up energetically, right? How do they behave? How do they show up? What verbiage are they using in a celebration? Okay, now that's the end state. What do we need to do to get you there and get you in that full energetic embodiment of being a statesman? And we worked on those behaviors until he got there. I will tell you that his UK board was much happier when he started showing up in suits. Now he never wore a tie, but suits and, you know, showing up at, at 9 a.m. versus 10 a.m. Um, even though he, at home he was on calls from 7 a.m. on, but nobody saw that. They're trying to really align themselves with things that are meaningful. And I think that's where work is going, is people want to know that what they're doing is making a difference and having an impact. Now, I will tell you that's not true for everybody, right? There are some people who just want to clock in, do their work and go home. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If that's who you are and how you want to show up, beautiful. You know, but for other people, like I'll use myself as an example, I want to know I'm making a difference in the world. And that when I draw my last breath, that the world was a better place because I existed. I don't know if they're putting the world's well-being on that, but I do know that we do work on emotional, mental, physical, and sometimes spiritual. I worked with a client this morning on, on spirituality. I don't know. I haven't really heard so much the words well-being, but I think it's, it's bumping up against it. Like they don't use that actual language, but that's what it is. You and I both know that's what it is. Right. Burnout is a specific well-being issue. Stress is a specific well-being issue. Feeling uncomfortable, like you don't fit, is a stressor. Yes. And obviously, if they're seeking out an expert's advice to help them through that, it's bothering them. So it is like being out of balance in a way. My why is focused on creating belonging. What I mean by that is however you show up in the world, like I said, gay, straight, black, white, non-binary, whatever you are, be comfortable in your own skin to show up in the fullness of you without any posturing, without any masks. And then from that position of wholeness and healing, creating belonging wherever you go. So, and that came from me not ever feeling like I belonged from, from family relationships to professional relationships. I've always felt like I I didn't belong. And to me, when I came to that purpose, I w- that really resonated with me because I never wanted anybody to feel like they didn't belong when they came into my space. I'm curious about the, I would call it trickle-down effect, I guess. If your clients sort of relate to you, if their inner work that they're doing in the coaching work with you how it's changing those connections that they have at work, how people are responding to them, not just the other leadership, if, if it means wearing a suit and tie mm-hmm. or not a tie, right, um, right. Or, but their subordinates or their, their colleagues at all levels. Sure. So I can tell you, I was working with a woman who worked at a company, family-owned business. She was not family for more than 20 years. And wanted to get promoted. And within five sessions, we got her promoted to COO. But, you know, and while we achieved that goal and she's next in line, she's the successor to the CEO, which wasn't happening when I first started working with her. But the, the most meaningful message I got was 
that her relationship with her wife improved because their communication was a lot more clear. That to me is what lights me up inside because that's, while work is important, right? It's very important and everything we're discussing is important, but when it's your significant other, the person that you've chosen to walk this journey with for however long you're supposed to, tells you that you're a better human because of the work we're doing together, that to me is just, that's everything. What do you think is the next big thing when it comes to workplace well-being? You know, what I'm seeing a trend of from nonprofits to local city governments, federal governments, is a trend towards bringing coaches in. And the listeners can't see this, but our cat, Pablo Escobar, has now decided that it's important for him to be on my lap. So he has to be part of this conversation. I think that the the trend I'm seeing is pets. Yes. So that's definitely, I mean, he, he must have been there to remind us that that is something. Probably, but I, you know what, you're not wrong. I think, I think that's exactly right. You can't see her off camera, but I've got a, a dog sleeping on a dog bed next to me in my office and there's always animals around. And, you know, I mean, that is definitely a cure for burnout. There's tons of data to say that even petting a cat is lowers your blood pressure and your heart rate, which is great. And even their purring can, that vibration can help relax your central nervous system. So yes, absolutely. On the flip side, going back to the original answer, bringing coaches in to help leaders. Right now, I have built with some partners, we have a global cohort of 50 coaches located around the world, multilingual PhDs, experts in their fields, ranging from wellness. So we have several nurses to an award-winning journalist who's interviewed Ariana Huffington and Oprah Winfrey, to people who focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, to indigenous coaches, to a transgender coach who used to be an executive at PNC Bank and is now advocating for transgender, just somebody who's working on procurement. And we keep getting tapped to be brought into organizations to help coach their individuals. And I'll tell you right now, I myself am working with an executive at Verizon who hired me because she said Verizon provided her an internal coach and she didn't feel comfortable telling him everything because they were hired by, by Verizon. She couldn't trust that he wasn't running back to her manager and telling her everything. So I really do believe outside coaches are the next wave. And the great thing about coaching that a lot of people don't know is the fees are 100% tax deductible. So for those CFOs that are listening out there that need a tax break, bring in coaches. I mean, and, and we, we have that tax code at the bottom of our invoices. So I always say, consult your tax professional. And I check with mine every year. And she's like, yep, still tax deductible. So, you know, it, it brings a lot of benefits. But the, the great thing about people, um, coaches that are not part of your organization. And by the way, I applaud Verizon for even believing in coaching enough to have them on staff. That's, that's awesome. But I caution them because you don't want coaches that are going to get into group think you want coaches that are going to challenge your mindset. Coaches are not consultants. Consultants answer your questions. Coaches question your answers. That's what we're there to do. And we're there to make sure that you're looking at every angle so you're not missing anything and 
you're providing the best of yourself to the organization. And right now, after everything we've discussed, whether it's well-being or burnout or having pets in the workplace, you know, this is this is not going away. And I will tell you, going to disrupt HR last year in October, one of the things that they said was a lot of the presenters said was that we didn't learn from the pandemic. We're actually swinging back in the other direction. And Philly, I think it was Sherm that put out a statistic that said that we are now working 46 minutes more every day. That's the wrong way. We need to be fully present while at work and be fully present at home and create boundaries and safe spaces for each. Is the coaching trend, because we noticed during and after the pandemic that leaders needed different skills or was it more that they were burned out and they needed to find a way to fix that burnout and figure out what's going on behind that? I think it's a combination of all of those things. I had a a COO who didn't end up hiring me in biotech um, out in Silicon Valley who said, does this emotional intelligence stuff really work, Kelly? Because it makes me wildly uncomfortable. And I was like, yes, it does work. (laughs) And there's data to prove it. In fact, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a study for this book called Primal Leadership written by Richard Boyatzis and Annie McKee and Daniel Goldman, who are all pioneers in the emotional intelligence space. And we're fortunate enough to have Annie McKee on faculty at UPenn. Their statistic that PricewaterhouseCoopers did was that the quadrant of emotional intelligence that contributes 524% to the bottom line is self-awareness. Really, I think the root of all of this, Heather, is being self-aware enough to know how you're showing up and how that's impacting. Another way of saying it is being responsible for the energy you bring into whatever space you're in. So I think that's really the root of it. And that's the root of burnout too, because if you're burnt out, you become short-tempered and just things don't don't have the flavor and the color and the spice that they used to have for you. And I do think leaders need new skills. We don't have to get into all the details of it, but let's look at what's happening in Twitter. I mean, that's a result of a leader that is hijacked in their ego and is not well, you know, and I don't mean sick as in physically sick. Cause I don't, I don't, not as doctor, but that is not the behavior of a well leader. In my opinion, leaders go into organizations and they observe and they see what's working, what's not working, what's next, and they don't touch what's working. They focus in on solutions for what's not working and they pull the team together to make sure that there's ownership and buy-in at all levels and, and execute on that. But you, you don't go in and just you know systematically order people around like it's your personal kingdom. Honestly, the proof is 1,600 people quitting within 24 hours of you taking leadership. That's a problem. Or changing the algorithm to make sure that your tweets show up. I mean, that's very egoic. And being hijacked in your ego is not a good place to lead. It leads to very dangerous things. Going back to your example about the person who didn't hire you because EI made them uncomfortable, would you say it's a prerequisite of becoming a client in a coaching setting is the willingness to become uncomfortable? 
Yeah. So for me, one of the things I, yes, yes, 100%. For me, it is because over 14 years, we've traced the data. We have a 90% success rate. And I don't usually talk about that. I talk about the failure rate because I think it's important for people to understand. And people resonate more with your failures than they do with your successes for some reason. I don't know why. But for me, yes, it is a prerequisite to be willing to get uncomfortable because in the discomfort, that's where growth happens. I could be cliche and talk about the diamond analogy, but when a seed breaks through its shell, it could look like complete destruction. But what's happening is the shell is dying to make room for something to, to grow and be born. So yeah, it's the willingness to get uncomfortable and to shed the things that no longer serve you to grow into something and transform into something that is more in alignment with who you need to be at this moment right now. When I'm doing a demo session or prospective client session, they're verbiage I'm looking for, language I'm looking for. Now at this time, since I'm getting a lot of overspill from psychologists and psychiatrists, there are certain mental health issues that I look for to screen for because I'm not qualified to do that. You know, I know where my training stops and ends and I, I work alongside some fantastic psychologists and psychiatrists. When I notice those things coming up that are out of my training we have a roster of doctors and service providers that we've vetted that we can recommend to our clients, but I will recommend that. Or if they're already working with somebody, I'll say, here's what I think you should do. Please make sure you talk to your psychiatrist or psychologist about that to make sure it's in alignment with your treatment plan. Because I'm not there to fly in the face of anything that these professionals are trying to do. I prefer to work in tandem with them. For me, emotional intelligence, yes is definitely it. If they come from what I call the I know mind, where it's I'm making a recommendation or a suggestion or asking a question. I know, Kelly, I know, I know, I know. They're not a good client for me. They're not because the work works. It only works as much as you engage with it. Going back to what I said before, you're the only factor I can't control. I will bring you everything in my power, in my realm to help you. And if it's not, then I'll go get it. I'll figure it out and get it for you. But if you're not going to show up, you're going to reschedule. If you're going to sit there mired in your disbelief, then you're not a good client for me. Maybe for another coach and be happy to refer you to any number of my great colleagues. But, and thank you for pointing that out because as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I guess it, it is. But at that point, I had seen in his body language that he was shut down and not open to it. And it's, you're not going to get results if you enter a coaching relationship like that. It's interesting. My guess is almost all your clients are high achieving or all, and they got there through hard work, just like everybody else. And yet this kind of work can be the hardest ever. And it seems easier to dismiss it or to go up against your own beliefs about Mm -hmm. yourself and others. Very tough. It is. It is. And one of the things that I've noticed about leaders at these levels, high potentials or high performers is that they often don't have people challenging their mindset in a kind and loving way. I'm there to provoke your thoughts and ask you to question everything. I know when I was working with my coaches, they did that for me. 
and how uncomfortable that was for me to have that mirror held up and watch your belief system crumble like a house of cards. It's not comfortable, but I can tell you on the other side, there's liberation, there's freedom, there's authenticity, there is meaning and purpose and a fulfilling life. Because I'll tell you, Heather, I never ask my clients to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. So everything I do with my clients, I've done. I've done it. And I've been put in some very uncomfortable positions. That's growth. And that's part of what our jobs as coaches are. It sounds like you've had your own journey. And I'll tell you a little bit about mine in terms of the well-being space. So I started in public health. And so it was really physical health. Some of the programs that I was coordinating had to do with you know, blood pressure checks and well-being inside the organizations, just things like quick checks to see where employees were at with their health, breast cancer screening for low-income women. I taught aerobics back when that was a thing. So step aerobics, aqua aerobics in my twenties. So I was really in that physical health space. Mm -hmm. And then I went into more of the mental health and work-life balance or work family integration space. So integrating the different aspects of well-being, right? Not just your physical health, but your mental health, your social health, your financial health. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of like this journey of it becoming a bigger space and getting skill sets in different parts of it. And I'm sure that you've added interests over time, areas of passion, different skill sets, different certificates I've seen on your LinkedIn. So you've built this repertoire of things that you've been passionate about over time. What are you passionate about in the well-being space now? Like, what's the, the thing that you're kind of like, oh, that's the new fun thing for me, or you're maybe trying to wrap your mind around? That's so hard because I try so many different things. I mean, I would say right now, what I'm digging into that is fascinating and literally shifted my mindset in one session was a shamanic healing session that I had on April 7th. And it really dug into ancestral trauma and generational trauma. That, that to me is fascinating because if you know anything about epigenetics, if you don't deal with the trauma, it will permeate five generations down. And while it doesn't change your DNA, it does change how you express it. So to me, that's fascinating. And I would say that the thing that I added this year that... My best friend, Marcy Cottle, had been pushing me to do yoga, right? And I love yoga. I'm the daughter of a former professional athlete. So any kind of movement, I love. And in fact, Monday, my husband and I depart for a two-week vacation hiking the Grand Canyon. So that has been really interesting, hiking and yoga and what it's done for my body as a 47-year-old woman. I didn't think that it was going to help the ligaments in my knees or range of motion or all of these things. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I've always loved yoga. I've done it for years on and off, but not as consistently as I have. And it's really the teeny tiny micro movements are mm -hmm. just amazing. Like I had a yoga instructor in Bryn Mawr who during tree pose, which I hope everybody knows what that is if you don't Google it, but she said, Kelly, spread your toes because that'll give you more surface area. And I was like, wait, what? And I did. And it changed the whole pose. And I was like, it's amazing how going from this, the contracted right to the expansive will change that. And so now I do yoga with Adrian at home as many times as I can. And 
stretching is really important, especially as you get older and strength training. You know, I've got a great trainer that I work with and Concha Hawken at Vision Fitness, David Yontef, he's incredible. But yeah, I mean, those are the things, anything that has to do with movement, um, I really love. And, and this is going to sound completely ignorant as somebody who's lived here since 2013, the trails around here, the hiking trails. <laughs> yes. What? In the Philly area? They are unbelievable. Like we, we hiked um, Mount Misery a couple weekends ago. And now I know why it's called Mount Misery because it's vertical and which is great and and ladies and getting you ready for the Grand Canyon right well and I was thinking one day as we were hiking through the Wissahickon anybody who wants to really tone their glutes get out on the Wissahickon because that there's nothing better but yeah I mean I love anything that has to do with movement you know I work with a Reiki master out of Sedona so I, I love anything to do with the chakras and I think really Heather a holistic approach is really what what I love. So, you know, mind, body, heart, spirit, and I'm going to have another session with the shaman. Her name is Jennifer Hinton. She's been doing the work for 30 years, has a degree in psychology. And like I said, in one session, just broke open things in me that I was not aware of. And we're doing a soul retrieval healing session because there have been some heavy things in my life that I've been carrying around and Sometimes when those things get heavy, you can't feel yourself. You can't feel the essence of you, you know, and, and this year has been extremely challenging starting off with, I'm going to say this fast because I'm going to get choked up, but we lost our five and a half year old golden retriever to Lyme disease out of nowhere. It was a shock. Pennsylvania, and I'm, I'm saying this to any pet owner out there, please protect your pets. Now our, our dogs had flea and tick collars on them, but you know, what I didn't know was the Collars repel the ticks, but they don't prevent them from burrowing. So now our animals both have flea collars and they get an oral supplement. That's tragic. Yeah. So it's just been, it's been a hard year. So, you know, all of these things are part of the healing process, but what I would say, and I want to make sure that everybody knows that they don't have to do what I do, meaning hiking the Grand Canyon or yoga, strength training, shamanic healing. You don't have to do all of that find something that makes you feel good, right? Whether it's a free meditation on YouTube or taking a walk around your block or sitting quietly in your apartment, or one of my favorite things to do that moves stress and completes the stress cycle is a primal scream. Take a pillow, scream your head off. My other favorite way to do it is to to get into the car and turn on Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train. And as soon as he starts saying all aboard, I open my mouth and I scream. But if you are, <laughs> if you are coupled, you know, in a couple, make sure you warn your partner about what you're doing. Cause I didn't do that when I first practiced this technique and my husband came running, like freaked out trying to figure out what happened, but, but do what you can do, do what you can do. Any small thing is better than nothing. You don't have to do 20 minutes twice a day of meditation. If you do five, if you do three, if you breathe, the best way to fill yourself up is an inhale, a deep inhale. If you can do that, that's enough. Because I know there are some people out there that are like, how can I add all that to my already overflowing plate? You don't have to. I'm in this space. This is my space that I work in. A lot of times I'll do things just to make sure that I have resources for my clients to say, 
hey, Heather, can't feel yourself? Maybe talk to Jennifer Hinton or you want to do strength training, go see David, or you want to get a great person or make sure your hiring tactics are doing really well. Hire Marcy Caudill Integro. Like I want to do that because I want to give them a good endorsement from an experiential position. So do what you can do. And please don't listen to external voices. Don't listen to social media. That's not a great place. It's very toxic. Listen to your heart and your soul and whatever aligns with that and that inner wisdom that you have that's inherent to you, do that. As you integrate that, add more. Just baby steps. Baby steps create forward momentum. Yeah, and trying new things and maybe not loving it the first time. In fact, it's it's great to know that you loved yoga from the beginning. I had a sort of checkered past with yoga until I learned to absolutely love it, until I literally fell in love with it, which is like, why didn't I give up along the way? Yeah. <laughs> but now I have downward dog app on my phone, which allows me to do it in the hotel room and when I'm traveling. So it's, I can just bring it with me. Like I don't have to go to a class. Absolutely. So shameless plug for that because it works for me, but it, it is of course great to go out to an awesome class with a great instructor who can give you great advice about how to make it suck less. Yes. And how you do fall in love. <laughs> and I will tell you, let me be clear. I didn't love, like I was very sporadic. I was not consistent. I just became consistent this year through an app yoga with Adrian, you know, and it was her free 30 day. And I just did it consistently. I didn't miss a day, even when we lost Carly being on the mat and being able to cry in my basement was very therapeutic, but no, I didn't love it. Mm -mm, I did not love it. And I just do what you can do, do what you can do. Like I said, five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you can do. If you don't like exercise, this is something I do with clients is it's called a progressive tension exercise where you lay in bed and you start from your, your head and you, you flex that muscle and you hold it until you can't hold it anymore. And then you release, and then you go to the next muscle group. And then as you get practice in that, what I say is like, try to connect with the source of the tension in that area. So if you got a tension headache, what caused it? What are the emotions and physical sensations that are coming up from that? Meet yourself where you're at. And then typically that takes between five and 10 minutes and that's exercise. Because there are people with autoimmune diseases or who just don't like exercise and that that's okay. Well, Kelly, it's been my pleasure. I, I just loved being here with you and I loved being here um, with the listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag H-R-T-E-A. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about Villanova University's graduate programs in human resource development, visit our website at villanovahrd.com.